Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of What the Future podcast. This week we're talking about net zero, but from a UK and a New Zealand perspective. This week I'm joined by Sam Miles, Andy Colton, Andrew Crossland and Keith Scholes. Hi everyone. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Hello. Hi, How are you? Well, lots of hellos there. Um, so just to kick us off then, uh, just a bit of an opening question. I'll start with you, Andy, if you don't mind. Um, what, in your opinion, is the key impact area you're passionate about on climate change? Yeah, thanks, Ian. Um, I think it's one of those where there's a few, but I think for me in the industry that I'm in, which is the energy supply industry in the UK, um, I think the area of greenwashing and the lack of knowledge or the lack of education that exists around it. Uh, and I do think as well in the UK, a lot of the energy suppliers historically have um, taken advantage of that. Um, I think people want there's a lot of it there's a lot of research a lot of data out there showing people want to make a change people do want to make a difference um but a lot of energy suppliers if you look at where they buy their wholesale energy from you know they're still not buying it from um what we would see as you know the proper sources so directly with a, a renewable generator and and most people don't understand it most people don't realize that um and i think they're doing that you know the suppliers are doing that in the name of profit um so yeah that's that's probably the key the key area for me trying to bring that whole greenwashing knowledge and education to you know how how the industry works um and perhaps the, the some of the naughty ways the energy suppliers are uh, are, are con- conducting their business um okay. so i think that's that's probably the area f- for myself yeah okay thanks andy and how about how about you keith what's your thoughts yeah so look um certainly achieving uh near zero zero in our electricity industry is something i've been passionate about for a number of years um and the reason why is for many years i i believe that it's been an achievable target in new zealand with new technologies um that just hasn't been the will um and uh why is because we have one of the best uh we have the best form of storage our hydro lakes and this is coupled with solar and wind and it's a great fit to uh, achieve those net, net zero outcomes for me it's also uh, about a different sort of climate change i'm wanting to see in the industry um that climate changes in the way that utilities operate and interact with their customers. Um, And I really think this is long overdue. Um, You know, our utilities were originally built by the people for the people. Uh, And then in the major reforms of the 1990s, we kind of lost something of that. Um, And uh, we sold off assets that we we owned and then we ended up paying for them twice at inflated prices. And I think what's worse during that time, we actually forgot about our customers um, uh, and made them almost like a commodity to be um, bought and sold. Mm. Um, So that to me was the wrong answer. I don't deny some things needed fixed. Was it the way to fix it? I don't really know where the change is right for the time. uh, maybe, but they aren't for now. And uh, and I I don't actually like the term net zero. I pre- prefer to refer to it as new new energy. Um, uh, we want a new energy framework for society, uh, for our business, and for our planets. Hmm. That's a good way. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sam, how about you? What what what's your thoughts? What are you really passionate about on climate change? Yeah, similarly, I mean, I'm in the energy industry as well. So a lot of focus for me is around how do you take um, propositions to customers that make 
things easier and better, not seeing kind of net zero or, or reducing their energy as a, as a kind of burden or something that's difficult. Um, because I think one of the big challenges is that we, it requires change. So how do we facilitate people kind of getting a benefit as well um, and, and seeing that it isn't just a kind of effort and it's going to make their life worse, but actually it can make their life better as well in, in small ways and, and large ways. And when we see um, big changes and, and kind of big innovation, it generally, you know, with time is, is better, not worse. So how do we, how do we facilitate that in energy? Mm, okay. Cheers, Sam. Um, Andrew, what, 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 do you, what do you think? I mean, I, I get passionate and excited about all of it, to be honest. But I, I suppose the main thing I get excited about is, um, you know, all this this new renewable technology, you, you can achieve things that you've never, never been able to do before. And I, I get really excited about that. So be that, how do you, you know, provi- you're providing energy to parts of the world that have never had electricity before, be that in Tonga or Kenya or, you know, even remote parts of... Um, you know, the UK that are still running on diesel, can we can we provide that in a different way? Um, I get excited about how do we um, reduce pills, uh, uh, reduce bills and make sort of energy more accessible to people and trying to tackle uh, energy poverty. And I, I get excited about, you know, even some of the sort of more unique things you can do with, say, batteries on making power more reliable and backing up assets and making grids stronger I just think there's so much potential and I, and I get really excited about about what the technology can do and then how you achieve that um, and that's that's kind of been my my focus for for a while okay thanks Andrew and just listening to everybody is clear you know that the, the amount of um, sort of the amount of experience that you all have the expertise that you all have but clearly the passion um, and I think you know we, we're only a few minutes into the podcast and I think already we could have um, we could have made this a two-hour conversation quite quite easily so um thanks again for uh joining us today so just just moving on then um so we, we know that both uk and, and new zealand governments have, have made recent commitments to climate change um just starting with you andrew do you do you think they've gone far enough um yeah it's a good it's a good question um i think a lot of the uh the policies they have are very they all sound very good, you know, net zero by 2015, net zero by 2030, whatever. They, 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 they sound good, but what they lack at the moment is a lot of the, I guess, the meat. How do we get there? Mm. Um, New Zealand's a really good example, I think, of where, um, you know, as Keith kind of alluded to, and, and we've, we've, worked, we've sort of written a paper on this, that it, it's, it's actually really technically very easy for New Zealand to achieve net zero electricity. Um, and it can solve a lot of the problems that they're facing in poverty and supply and, and just cost of energy, which are extremely high at the moment, in part due to climate change. But I think what they're lacking is how, how does that get delivered? And New Zealand really needs, um, and, and the UK to some extent, they need policies that encourage investment in renewable energy. Uh, ultimately, um, you, you, we're asking for billions and billions of dollars to be spent in decarbonizing our power systems and if you if you sort of forget that and just talk rhetoric and talk about reducing emissions and building solar farms and forget the money it it won't happen and um you know i've been 
pushing for quite a long time in New Zealand to just just even simple mechanisms like floor prices that can uh, reduce the cost of power and give um, you know investors the security they need to you know build the thing. I think that that's that's what it's kind of missing really, um, mm. and that's true in the UK as well as as, as New Zealand. I think. Okay. Yeah. And, and Sam, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I'd largely agree with that. I think you know, the the policy and the stated ambition is a is a first step, but once you get that kind of next level beneath, it's the kind of concrete plans or at least the the clarity of policy because we we still get a lot of inconsistency in terms of what the messages are and I recognize there's lots of stakeholders and and money and and people to please involved, but um, it seems that you know the high level message is is fine, but then you kind of get that next layer down and it it gets um, a bit watered down um, and the policies aren't always consistent with that and and as we've already said, you know what we really need is a lot of investment um, and in order to encourage investment, you know one of the best ways is a, is a really clear policy um, and a and a clear direction and that may mean that you know eventually there are some things that supersede it i think we're always worried about making mistakes or technology advancing beyond what we know now but i think there's just a need to kind of drive forward in a direction um a bit a bit faster now um um, and andy you obviously picked up on the the greenwashing um earlier on um do you think that's something that um the uk government could do more about or do you think that's that's more of a regulator uh decision um, well, it's a bit of both, isn't it? I, I've kind of been sat here nodding my head to, to everything that the other guys have, have said as well. I think I suppose to answer the question about, you know, are they are the do the governments go enough? I can't really comment too much on New, on New Zealand. But for the UK, I, I think the answer is no. You know, I think even like net zero by 2050, it's too late. You know, that's 30 years time. So there's there's quite a lot of work out there, especially by the UN, their their steering group on climate change, saying you know we've got to we've got to solve it now or, or at least in the next decade. So I think to try and you know net zero by by 2050, it's it's too late. Uh, and just to add to the other the other guys' points as well, what, where's the detail? You know, where's the where's the roadmap um, to kind of get to where we need to get to? I'm, I'm not sure I've seen it. And it, if it is there, it's all a bit piecemeal as well. So. Um, I think there's a there's a lot more that needs to be done, and I think I think it does need to. I don't think the market is necessarily the right thing to decide that. I think it does need to be government. I think it does need to be regulation, because we just can't we can't muck around with this. You know, we've got to we've got to solve it quicker. Um, I think it's part of why you know we're trying to get a, a bit of a shameless plug for ourselves, but you know we're trying to get to a point where our tariff, our energy tariff, will be such that we're, we're removing carbon gases, you know, greenhouse gases. Because again, I, I just don't think we, we're going to get there quick enough unless we start doing something quite drastically different. So, yes, okay, thanks, Andy. Um, and just just moving on then. So we've already raised a number of challenges. So just um, starting with you, Sam, if you don't mind. So you've already said, you know, we can have clarity of policy, but you know, creating something that sort of goes through all levels of, of government, local and, and, and national. Um, as as well as having an a, sort of action, is is that the sort of the biggest challenge that we've got, or is there something else that that you're aware of that, that's an even bigger challenge to to creating net zero? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the big challenges. But I think even a step further, the kind of global cooperation. Um, you know, sad in the UK. You know, while it's while it's a big country, um, 
you know, it, it really needs some of the big other, you know, big other countries to commit to it as well. Um, and then once you get into kind of international competition, there's a bit of kind of game playing and you go first and, and that's not an easy challenge to, to solve. How do you get, um, both kind of individual action down to very, you know, every person doing their bit, but then also global cooperation where, where big countries and big emitters all commit to doing the same thing. Um, and I think, you know, in a complex world where we're all focused on short term things and, and every country and government has its own challenges, particularly now, um, probably creating that is, is the biggest thing I see. Mm. OK, thanks, Sam. Um, and Keith, obviously, you, you work across a number of different countries. Um, is, is that is that sort of global cooperation something you would agree with as the biggest challenge or do you see something else? Uh, yeah, I do see it as a significant uh, challenge, but I think I think uh, you know some of the challenges for our industry are, are probably um, a threefold. Um, you know, one is the technology, figuring out um, what we can do di- different or better with the technology. Um, there's the resource, having the smart and adaptable people who can think outside what I'd call the poles and wires mentality, um, um, and um, th- there is simply having enough people to support the industry where there isn't enough uptake of engineering skills. And I think that's quite important for the industry. Um, I do think training also and how we get people on board uh, will have to be looked at. Uh, You know, we're in a world that um, we're, you know, moving to an environment where people might change careers a number of times um, during their lifetime. Uh, So is the training uh, systems that we've got, are they important? Uh, uh, Are they, are they, uh, well, not are they important, but should they be structured the same? Is there more need for targeted training? And the last thing uh, which I alluded to earlier on was it was just the, uh, the the culture change within the engineering mindsets. Um, you know, we can no longer be precious and, and protective about our knowledge. Um, and in simple terms, we're here to serve uh, others um, with our technical knowledge. Um, engineering is not about things, it's about people and, uh, uh, and the opportunity and the challenges to change the way we view engineering and technology uh, into the future. Cool. Thanks, Keith. Um, Andrew, the, you know, both Keith and Sam have raised some great points there on, on what the biggest challenges are. Um, is there anything? Is there anything that you think they might have missed, or or maybe not sort of raised enough, or uh, have they have they covered everything from from your perspective? I mean, I, I think I would um, I would challenge uh, what Sam said a little bit, and, and maybe I misheard you, Sam. But you know, I, I don't I don't think we're at a point where we need to be saying, you know, we're not going to move until China moves, or we're not going to move until the US does something what these renewable technologies can achieve now they're actually they're not a cost they're a benefit you know they improve our lives they improve the cost of energy they improve the strength of our economy and i was just doing some quick numbers while um keith was talking and if you look at the number of power stations that we need to build in order to achieve net zero in new zealand we're probably talking a couple of hundred thousand um, solar farms um, or wind farms or EV chargers that need to be built. That's a huge opportunity for employment. It's a huge opportunity for, um, you know, building up a, a sort of a stronger, more localized economy. And I would say 
you know, to to governments, don't don't wait around for others to move. The the opportunity is now. The opportunity is here to to really start investing and supporting this technology. And um, you know, it's 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 as you say, it's a it's it's about people at the end of the day, and it's about um, improving lives, and it's about um, you know making making economies and energy systems more more resilient. And and I believe that's what what we're now able to do thanks to all the hard hard graph we've done over the past. 30 years developing solar farms and wind farms and batteries and EVs, et cetera. Yeah. And I guess I'd agree with you there. I guess I'm thinking slightly kind of broader than just the energy system. So I, you know, I I just certainly see a pathway for um, the UK and, and I'm sure New Zealand, although not, you know, not as close to it um, for us to decarbonize electricity and that system, that's, you know, a relatively easy challenge on the path to net, to net zero. I guess when you, when you look more broadly at you know in the overall economy and the industrial usage and, and the way we we behave as a global economy um mm. i think that's the bigger challenge than decarbonizing the energy system um i actually think you know decarbonizing electricity is is broadly the easiest task on that list of big things we need to do um which, yeah. which in itself is a challenge so i think i, I agree with you guys and the kind of no reason not to do that it's i guess as as we go forward and broader than that that i that i think there's a bigger challenge yeah there's um and just um one of the main criticisms i think of the new zealand energy policy just to touch on what you said is you know uh, decarbonizing electricity relatively straightforward um say straightforward with a, a, a big quotation marks but um decarbonizing agriculture for example and methane emissions from agriculture are pretty um you know pretty pretty significant challenges but i i would you know the um the the as 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 we sort of rise as a as a as a sort of community to the net zero challenge you would hope that those answers would be found and they have been found in certain sectors and and be adopted so you know i i guess I guess I just don't, I don't, I don't, I see there being quite a big first mover advantage in all the different areas. I think that's what I'm trying to say is that, you know, this, there is an advantage to, you know, in the UK to try and overcome our dependence on gas for heating, which is increasingly coming from abroad and um, increasingly coming from vulnerable supply chains. You know, even that be the the gas pipeline to Norway that sits on a, on a fault line, you know, it's, we've, we've got some, some real advantages to to moving um, uh, in the different sectors, in my view. Um, cool. Okay, I think we've got some really good points out there. Um, Andy, you you've listened to um, a, b- a bunch of that um, that chat. Is there is there anything that you would want to add to it around the the sort of the, the biggest challenges, or do you think everybody's covered covered the main the main challenges from your perspective? I think there's uh, all of them are very valid in my view. I think there might be a couple, a couple others. I think one is, I think it's education, educating the masses. Um, in my experience here in, in in the UK, the average person doesn't get it. You know, they still don't really understand climate change, net zero, you know, greenwashing. That they, they don't understand it. So I think there's an element of you know we've got to teach this stuff in schools. Um, don't get me wrong, I do think that kind of generation come in, understand it a lot better than perhaps my generation, our generation, and certainly better than my parents' generation. But I, just, I really do think there's an education piece because, yeah, we've, we need to teach people about this kind of stuff and to spot the differences between, you know, what what is a greenwash and perhaps what isn't. 
I think the the other thing as well is, and this might sound sort of a bit, you know, kind of hippy dippy or whatever, but I think I think the world's still addicted to oil and gas. You know, we we've got to we've got to got to get away from that. And I think that probably ties in with my first point around education. So, um, yeah, those are probably just just to kind of summarise. I think um, I think everybody's points are absolutely valid. There's there's a lot of stuff to do, but there's a lot of challenges, isn't there? Oh, geez, it's hard this. <laughs> So just moving on to another another challenge then a lot a lot of what um some of the sort of climate uh challenges will say is it, it's just too too expensive this this thing um so just from from your point of view and if you can continue you know, do, do you think that net zero outcomes are affordable for society or do you think there's just no there's just no option you've got to do it yeah it's it's the it's the latter you know we've it's there's no choice here really or else to kind of you know sound somewhat alarmist we're a bit doomed um i don't know if anyone's kind of watched the programs you know the david attenborough stuff that he's done on on netflix you know he starts to look at what would the future look like in you know if he was born today what would his lifetime look like and it's you know it's it's it is it's horrifying so we've, we've got to do it it's got to be affordable uh, and it's a false economy anyway to say it's not because the amount of money we'll have to spend down the line to try and um fix the impact of climate change if we're not able to prevent it from becoming a serious problem like i say it's in my view would be a false economy so yeah we've 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 got to do it we've got to do it thanks andy and and i guess most people will probably agree on this on this podcast that um that it is affordable uh for society but keith do, do you do you understand why why that question gets asked if it's affordable uh yeah i understand why it get it gets asked but um my question is really can we afford not to mm-hmm. um you know yeah, we exactly. with you know i i read a i read and i listen to a lot of dialogue online about you know the science of climate change and and also from the skeptics position and and I guess where I come from is whether you whether or not you believe in the science, um, we have to look after our planet better. Better, um, we have to all get on board with looking after our future. Um, and and if one thing we've learned through COVID, I think it's that you know that really people and our planet does matter. Um, we have to find our way out of this uh, consumerism and what I call continual growth worship trap that we're in. Um, you know, many of us have been subject to those manufacturers' products that have more plastic in them um, uh, in the wrapping uh, than, than the product itself. Um, those sort of things just have to stop. Um, and I think we actually should be measuring our success as a nation, not in terms of consumerism uh, and pursuit of endless growth, um, because it's simply not sustainable. Uh, we should measure our success in terms of how well we look after each other and our planet, and that's the starting point. Um, you know, why don't why don't um, you know our utilities? Why are they not? Um, reporting on sustainability as a a starting point. I think they should be all reporting on sustainability because they all have the ability to impact on sustainability, whether you're a generator, whether you're a transmission owner, or whether you're a distribution owner. You all have the ability to to, um, 
make a sustainable business um, and we just don't report on those things and we you know as a consequence we're not focusing on some of those areas of sustainability so so we can't afford not to do anything if, if I may chip in and just briefly, I 100% agree with Keith. And I think there's some big questions for society and the world, and, you know, and again, not for this podcast, probably, but, you know, capitalism over, you know, more of a socialism type type model and purpose over profit. I think we've really got to kind of reconcile some of that stuff um, because otherwise I think it's, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult to do it. But yeah, that's probably another podcast in itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cheers both. Um, and, and Sam, obviously you, you work across lots of uh, public bodies, lots of, uh, you do lots of consultancy work. Do you think, you know, is it a question that you get asked often or do you think they get it? Do they understand that, you know, that, that the cost, um, you know, has to be paid for now or it will be more costly down the line? Um, I think we're still a bit naive about it, to be honest. I think a lot of the questions and kind of projects I work on are, how do you reduce bills and make it greener and, you know, and make it you know accessible to everybody straight away. Now, I think in the end, that has to be the goal, but I think it's a, a little bit about time horizons um, as the guys have alluded to. I mean, it's going to cost us a lot more to fix it in the future um, than, and the longer we wait, the more expensive it will be, but it's very difficult. We're not good at kind of doing a business case on, you know, what it will cost down the road if we don't act now. We tend to com- compare, you know, today's cost versus tomorrow's cost as opposed to kind of having all those kind of externalities into the business case. Um, so I think we need to get better at that because, you know, at certain points there may be short-term things that are, you know, more expensive the next two to three years. But if you compare that to the cost in 10 years, we'll, we'll be way better off by acting now and uh, we haven't quite squared that circle in my view. Do you mind if I chip in again, Ian? Sorry, I keep talking on this, but I think, I, again, sure. just to agree with, again, with Sam, and I think there's another big question here, which is, comes back to politics. You know, we, we kind of live in an age, no matter what country you go in, where, you know, one side argues with the other in whatever the other, whatever the party in power does, the the opposition will say it's rubbish and poor. What, what we need is people to start to come together to say, we need to start investing in some quite serious figures to get to where we need to get to. No one's brave or a lot of you know, a lot of parties, a lot of leaders probably aren't that brave to do it or can't do it because of the political opposition and um, because they want to get bo- voted back in, in, you know, four or five years time, or whatever it is. I think that's the challenge we've got with, again, linked to our capitalism and socialism. That's a challenge we've got with our democracies at the moment as well, because that's the kind of, you know, we, we a lot of the a lot of countries i think and a lot of uh, leaders are their priorities to get re-elected in five years time yeah. spending massive amounts and getting into masses of debt may not be that attractive to do that um again some massive massive questions around this um, for, for the world absolutely um so just just trying to pull all this together then because i think you you've all covered so much ground um in this podcast and i guess i'd like to kind of finish off on um sort of utilizing your experience and expertise so i'd just like to ask you all and, and starting with you andrew um if if i was to give you a million pounds today you know what would you what would you do with it or or would you say you know thanks ian but a million pounds this isn't enough i need a billion pounds uh i mean it's yeah it's a great question isn't it um you 
you know, your gut says, you know, I'm going to need a lot more money than that, Ian, because we've got to build a lot of uh, a lot of hardware and develop a lot of solutions. So I need trillions of pounds. But I think with with a with the million, um, I'd, uh, I'd 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 sort of pick up on something Keith, Keith talked about earlier. Uh, there's a, there's a, a a Maori saying which um, is quite well-known in New Zealand, which um, I won't try to say the Maori, but it, it's along the lines of it's the people, it's the people, it's the people that matter. And with a million pounds, you can go and do a lot of, um, you know, in sort of inspiring work, be that business cases to show um, different, you know, to basically enable pilot projects, be that training for um, people to go out and build the hundreds of thousands of power stations that we need, be that um, going out and working with utilities in remote parts of the world and helping them understand the transition to net zero. Or, you know, even my local council here in um, North Knox, you know, sitting down with them for a million pounds, putting, um, you know, schemes in to help some of the energy poor around me. You know, we have 10% of the population go through a food bank through COVID here. Um, now, you know, the, the impact that we can have with a million on education and jobs and reducing energy poverty, I would say would be pretty, pretty dramatic. So, you know, but it, it's, all, it's all about people, isn't it? It's like, there's five people on this call. We could probably in our lifetimes build, I don't know, 15 solar farms each if we chose to take that as our profession. That's nowhere near enough. We've got to um, go out and inspire um, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world to start making um, positive action. And that's what I want to do with the million pounds in, whether whether I'm the right spokesman for that or not, I, that's what I try to do with it. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. No, that's perfectly said. Um, and Andy, I, th- I think I know what you do with it, but but maybe I've assumed too much. What would you do with the million pounds? Well, it, yeah, I mean the kind of obvious answer was invest it in hope energy to help us get up and running. But I mean, I've I've got to nod my head at what Andrew said and, and agree with him. I think um, one, I would say, you know what, I am not qualified to make this decision. Um, I think that's, that's probably fair to say. Um, yes, we do need a trillion, not, not a million. I think, I think I've just been reflecting on it whilst Andrew was talking though. I think may, maybe there's an element of, you know, can we put that million pounds into, it's a point I mentioned earlier into education because, I love, I love this example there, you know, we could build 15 solar farms each, but that's nothing. If we could edu- start, you know, educating people, well, now we've got, you know, an X thousand other people who might be able to build 15 solar farms each, and now we get in there. So may, maybe that million pound needs to go into, you know, education, possibly so. Um, it's a really, it's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. Yeah. It, it ain't enough is the, is the, is the uh, bottom line, you know, it's not enough. And, and, and I suppose it, it just illustrates, you know, all the points you, you've all made during the podcast, actually, uh, around, yes, there's a number of challenges. And, and when it comes down to, you know, one or two actionable items, it's it's hard to pin things down because it's 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 a complex thing. But we've got to start somewhere. Um, and we've talked, we, we've heard so many examples of starting with the people and it's about the people. Um, that that seems like it's a it's, it's a really good place to start. Um Keith, what would you do with 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 a million pounds? 
Yeah, well, look, I, I agree with both the um, Andrews. Um, essentially, um, you know, I think we can actually educate through delivery. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I'd be actually targeting getting some projects off the ground and actually providing some benefits into energy poverty in areas that actually need it. Um, and, and actually using those example um, projects to be, you know, the champion cause for um, uh, what we can do to impact on energy poverty and and power prices in general. Um, you know, it's looking at giving people a hand up, not a handout uh, as such, um, but it's using those to pass on some benefits and then start talking about the benefits and started talking to them about, about it in the real world environment because that's what will help people understand the outcomes um, from these uh, initiatives. So so certainly I'm behind um, both of them, you know, uh, uh, in um, both Andrews and in the essence that we, we look at um, putting that money money into uh, making an impact on energy poverty. And what you could do, Keith, as well, just add to that, is start funding apprenticeships. To your point about, you know, we need engineers to do this, some of this stuff. You know, if we could, yeah. if we could use some of that money to actually, yeah, get some get some apprenticeships for people to start to learn about actually building some of these technologies as well, that that could be a, a part of the puzzle as well. Yes. Yeah. And and Sam, you've you've been involved in some super exciting projects over the years and, and created some wonderful ideas, some of which have, have, have had funding and some of which haven't been able to. But if you had a million pounds, what, what would you do? Yeah, it, it's a good one. And, and I think, you know, education, apprentices and, and demonstration projects, you know, is a good place to start. I guess the other place I'd go as well is, is you know, competitions and accelerators to fund ideas and get get. Mm businesses off the ground that are going to do things differently um recognizing that you know some people have kernels of ideas that just need you know support and to get off the ground and if we can get a few wacky ones off the ground um that might be the answer to some sort of you know accelerator and investment program what about you ian what would you spend a million pounds on putting you on the spot now (laughs) well I, I'm absolutely not an expert in this, but listening to you all, um, I think it is, for me, it would be a balance of, of education and getting those wacky ideas off the ground. Uh, because I think it's, you know, with, with a million pounds, some of the, you know, the cleverest brains um, that, that could be supported, of course, because I think, I think quite often with the, the people that come up with the, the most wonderful ideas, they're not necessarily brilliant at getting those ideas across. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a combination of education and support for ideas. Um, because if you're not wonderful at pitching your idea, then maybe it, it stays in the bottom of your drawer. So I think it, I think there's a education, support for ideas, and you know, physical money to, to sort of help them help them get moving. <clears throat> cool. Okay, so um, listen, everyone, we've, we've got to the end of the podcast now, um, or the end of this podcast, um, I'd, I'd rather say, because I think there's so many other things we could be talking about, you know, community energy, uh, alternative uh, options for energy, you know, whether it be battery or solar or lots of the projects that you're all working on right now. I think our listeners would love to, to hear more about those things, but 
for now, um, I'd just like to, to end it there. I've been really, um, you know, pleased with the sort of examples that everybody have been able to bring up today. I think our listeners will be, you know, inspired by, you know, where we can go on these things. There's been some really good challenge in there about what we can be doing better. Um, so I've been I've been sat here really interested um, and sometimes forgetting my questions because I've been lost in in what you guys have been saying. So I appreciate that. So um, thanks again for that today. Um, now, if you are a first time listener to us and you want to hear more, you can subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, equally, you can follow us on LinkedIn or if anything that that you've heard today um, has, has got you wondering more about uh, future leaders, um, then you can take a look at us on our website, which is uh, futureleadersmentoring.com, um, where we offer support for mentors and mentees um, across the globe. So thanks again for everybody today. Really um, enjoyed the chat and look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.